You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We're going to be in Psalm 126 today, so you can make your way there, uh, whether you're using a hardcover Bible, a digital Bible. If you're using one of the ones under the seats, page 517 is where you can find Psalm 126. Two quick uh, additional updates to give just as you're turning there. One is I've been sharing the past couple weeks about end of year giving. Uh, At the end of November, we were about $30,000 behind where we wanted to be budget-wise this year. Uh, Grateful that I get to share that we've made up about half of that in the past couple weeks. Uh, We're closing that gap. So praise God for that. Thank you to those of you who contributed to help us do that. Um, but as, as many do give at the end of the year for, for tax reasons and other reasons, uh, if you would continue to prayerfully consider giving to help us close that gap all the way, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And then the other thing is, because we're nearing the end of 2023, uh, we're also nearing the end of our Old Testament reading plan. We've been reading through the Old Testament together as a church this year. Uh, if you've kept up with it, we're, we're down to just a couple of books left, a couple chapters of, of Isaiah and uh, Ezekiel. We're closing out the, the plan for the year. But we're going to start in 2024, a New Testament reading plan. So the link is now available for that. It'll be in the weekly email or on our website. Prefer a hard copy uh, of that re- same reading plan. You can find a handful of those on the welcome desk. The New Testament is shorter than the old, uh, so the reading is less to make it through in a year. Uh, it's five days a week, basically a chapter a day, five days a week, and there's two days you can make up uh, for if you're like me sometimes and need some makeup days in there. So that's there. Would love to have you join us in reading through the New Testament in 2024. Well, we're in an Advent series looking at some lesser known prophecies about Jesus from the Psalms. And this morning, as we explore Psalm 126, we're going to see that the coming King restores our joy. The coming King restores our joy. Psalm 126, you'll notice, sounds a lot like Psalm 85, which we looked at last week. Uh, Both of these Psalms begin by recalling a previous time that God restored his people. Both include a a crying out to God for restoration once again. But where last week in Psalm 85, it was longing for a restored peace. Psalm 126 is anticipating a restored joy. There, There are many ways that you and I might need our joy restored in life right now. James Montgomery Boyce, who was a longtime pastor in in Philadelphia, uh, he once wrote about four joys commonly lost by Christians. Four joys commonly lost by Christians. One is the joy of our salvation. The days when we first came to faith in Jesus, however many years ago that, that may have been for some of us, is usually characterized by a ton of joy. But that initial heightened sense can fade. The gospel is still good news. We still believe it, but it doesn't always make us joyful like perhaps it once did. Another is the joy of spiritual victory. There are times in our lives where we experience significant freedom over sin, or maybe a time in our lives where we're able to forgive someone who has deeply hurt us. Times in our lives where we're able to to walk alongside and to actually help another person come to faith in Jesus or maybe even there for the moment that they say, yes, I want this too. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. There's immense joy in those kinds of spiritual victories, but that sense of joy passes. A third commonly lost joy is the joy of Christian fellowship. 
the joy of Christian fellowship, meaningful Christian community, friendships and relationships can end. They can change significantly for, for a variety of reasons. People move away. People pass away. People themselves change, right? We're dynamic. We change over time. Sometimes sin fractures community. But whatever the cause, joy can be lost when, you're, when your community changes. And the last one that James Boyce mentions is the joy of a new work for God. If you've been part of a, an initiative, if you've helped launch a new ministry, whether that's a, mi- a ministry within a local church or a parachurch ministry, if you've been part of a mission trip in your life or you've fundraised for something and done all of this work and then kind of gotten to the finish line of that, then you know what this is. Church planting is definitely part of this category. When you catch a vision for what Jesus's church is and you link arms with some other people to see a new local church come into existence, there's an excitement, there's a joy in that, but it's a joy which, which also fades. So maybe none of those resonate with you this morning, or maybe they all do. And maybe there are also some other joys that you feel like in this moment you've lost. The joy of marriage the joy of parenting, the joy of work, the joy of of getting to actually image God in the way that we use our lives vocationally. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to consider this morning that joy is not an optional part of the Christian life. Joy is not, as I'm inclined to think of it at times, a nice add-on that maybe if everything else is kind of there, like maybe then at the end of all of that, we can have some joy as well. Now, joy is actually among the fruit of the spirit that the apostle Paul details in Galatians 5. It's part of the evidence that the spirit of God is within us and at work in us. That doesn't mean, as we're going to hear in just a moment in Psalm 126, that we're always laughing. It doesn't mean we're always smiling. It doesn't mean that we're naively optimistic or that we just chase after spiritual highs, that we just kind of try to run down experiences that give us this sense of happiness. It does mean that you and I refuse to settle for a joyless life. It does mean that we, we cry out to God to restore our joy and that we fight for restored joy. And Psalm 126 shows us how we are to do that in light of the coming King, Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us and then, and then we'll dive into to this Psalm. Let me pray. God of love, God of power, God of joy. You are revealed to us in your word in accounts of prophecy and fulfillment that direct our attention to Jesus. And so we ask now by the work of your spirit that you would illumine us to hear your word proclaimed, that as we do, we would open our hearts to Jesus, that we would yearn for his coming again in glory and that we would serve him all the days of our lives with joy. And we pray this all in his name, amen. I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Psalm 126. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves 
with him. This is God's word. This morning, we're gonna walk through Psalm 126 in two parts. We're gonna talk about former joy and future joy. Former joy and future joy. So first, let's talk about former joy. The first half of this Psalm, the first three verses is about former joy. The psalmist, as you heard, is recalling a past time when God restored the fortunes of his people. This could also be a reference to the Israelites return from exile in Babylon, like Psalm 85 most likely is. But the language here in Psalm 126 is a little bit more broad than that. So it doesn't seem quite as clear. It might be referring to that. We don't know for sure. But whatever event he has in mind in these first three verses, the psalmist is here highlighting both joy's effect on us, meaning the people of God, and joy's effect on them, meaning the nations or people who at that moment don't follow the one true God. For us, for the people of God, the psalmist says, it's like a dream. It was like a dream. We could hardly believe it. Somebody had to pinch them to make sure that it was real. It filled their mouth with laughter. It, it filled their tongues with shouts of joy. Christians can be way too serious. Can they not? Christians can be way too serious. Now, I'm sure you've never experienced that, right? The circles that you run in, Presbyterians, Reformed Baptists, always the life of the party, everywhere. You've not partied until you've partied with a Presbyterian, okay? But other Christians, I've heard some people can be too buttoned up in their, in their Christianity. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Christianity is a serious religion. It's a serious religion. It's not fanciful. Uh, it's not surface level. It deals with the weightiness and sorrows of real life. It deals in life and death. It deals in heaven and hell. It deals in sin and salvation. And in that sense, Christianity is no laughing matter at all. But as Sinclair Ferguson once put it, sometimes it jolly well ought to be a laughing matter. And he's Scottish. So he's contractually obligated to use the word jolly every now and then in his, in his writing. But he continues, Sinclair Ferguson continues, if Christians have nothing to laugh about, then nobody has anything to laugh about. See, as God's people, we, we have to remember the story we're actually in. The whole story, the true story, instead of being overwhelmed and crushed by things that steal joy, which are many and are always there, we keep records of joy as the people of God. We keep records of joy. We remember the former joys, the great things God has done for us. And thereby, we always have something to laugh about. We always have something to shout about. Even if it's been decades since you came to faith, there is joy to be found in recalling how God brought you into his family through the finished work of Jesus. Even when you're in the midst of battling that recurring sin again, you're back there again, whatever that is for you, there's joy in recalling the freedom you've experienced, the times of victory that you have had. Even when your community has changed, there's joy in recalling what that community meant to you when you had it how God worked really powerfully in the lives of those people, however long they were in your life. And there's joy in recalling how that community came into existence because it reminds us that God can do the very same thing again. And when the honeymoon phase of a new work for God has worn off, when, for example, a church plant becomes a church, just another church, like every church plant eventually does, 
There's immense joy in recalling how God showed up to bring it into existence at all. How the Lord built the house. You see, just the fact that there is an us at all, that God has made for himself a treasured possession of people, that God promises to a group of people to be our God and that we will be his people, in any given moment, that can fill our our mouth with laughter. Like me, right? You, me, really? Are you kidding? Impatient, self-righteous, immoral me. I get to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, through Jesus Christ, you do. I do. The psalmist here also highlights joy's effect on them, meaning the nations. The nations in the Bible is a, is a shorthand way of referring to people who don't trust or follow the one true God. And notice as this psalm recounts this former joy, who's the first to call it out publicly? It's not the people of God, it's the nations. Look again at the end of verse two. It says, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The nations are standing off of the distance, looking at the people of God and saying, man, God has done some incredible stuff for those people. You'd think it would actually be the the opposite. You'd think God's people would proclaim this first. And then maybe perhaps some people from the nations would join in and echo. But in this Psalm, the nations go first. Only then does the echo. Only then does the affirmation come from the people of God. Verse three, yes, he has. Yes, he has. He has done great things for us and we are glad. This is still possible in our day. Can we, can we like hang on to that reality to get, this is still possible in our day. Our joy and laughter at what God has done can still cause people in our world to say, there's something going on there. There's something great and powerful and unique happening among that group of people. But not if our lives are characterized by the same sullen, downcast demeanor all the time. Not if our lives are characterized by the same grumbling and complaining all the time. One thing I've noticed overhearing conversations during way too many hours of working and meeting with people in coffee shops, there's always something to complain about. There's always and a, and a massive range of things that people complain about in coffee shops. Everything from medical malpractice, which is a big one. Okay, that's a big one. All the way to like my neighbor leaves their trash cans out too long. I wish they took them in sooner too. I wish my bridge partner played this hand differently in our bridge game this morning. Okay, there's a massive range. You can even actually, you can even start to complain like I'm doing right now about how much other people complain. But if you stop and think about it, an absurdly high percentage of our conversation is just our exchanging gripes and complaints with one another. So sometimes I wonder, like, would we actually have things to talk about with most people if we weren't complaining at all? What an opportunity to be a beautiful counterculture. What an opportunity. As God's people in this time and place, I want to call you this morning to do two things with the first half of this psalm to employ joy in your formation and to deploy joy in mission. Employ joy in your formation and deploy joy in mission. So employ joy in your formation. In other words, cultivate a life that's characterized by more joy. Joy in what? Joy in who God is. Joy in what God has done. Joy in all that that means for your life and the life of the world. I don't mean when I say that for you to pretend to be happy all the time. I mean, stop ignoring and taking for granted the great works of God. 
That's what we're so inclined to do is just to take for granted or to ignore the great works of God. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. We nurture these memories of laughter, these shouts of joy. We fill our minds with the stories of God, God's acts. Joy has a history. Joy is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. It is as real as a date in history, as solid as a stratum of rock in Palestine. Joy is nurtured by living in such a history, building on such a foundation. Because God is our God and we are his people, we can be more characterized by the joy of salvation than the groaning of sin. Because God is our God, there is always much to laugh about, to shout with joy about, employ joy in your formation. And at the same time, deploy joy in mission. Joy has incredible missional power incredible missional power. It exalts and magnifies the great works of God among people who don't yet know him. And so in this Psalm, joy is a bridge. Did you notice that? Joy is a bridge. It's something that the people of God and the nations agree about. And the nations actually notice it and call it out first. Wow, you guys are joyful. God has done great things for you. And it gives the people of God a chance to say, yes, he has. In fact, you don't even know the half of it, but let me tell you. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Christian, you have a faith that stands up under the worst and the weightiest life and sin can throw at it. And simultaneously a faith that fills your mouth with laughter. Do you have any idea how much people in our world need that? Do you have any idea how much people in our world are longing for that? I don't know what you're walking into as you, as you prepare to celebrate Christmas and New Year's these next couple of weeks. But my guess is that somewhere in there and maybe frequently, you're gonna be spending some time with people who are not Christians, family members and friends and coworkers at different kind of holiday celebrations. I would encourage you to start thinking now, what great work of God, what great works of God made you joyful this year? How has God made you laugh? at his goodness this year, even if it's been a harder year, because I know it's been a harder year for a number of us. How can you find joy in what God has done this year? How can you then share your joy with people who don't know Jesus? There is missional power in joy. Joy is this bridge to other people. So deploy joy in mission. That's the first half of Psalm 126 about former joy. Second, let's talk about future joy. The second half of this Psalm is very much linked to the first. Perhaps you heard that as I read it a while ago. Both of them speak of restoring the fortunes of God's people. Both of them speak of shouting with joy. But where the first half recounts former joy, this second half is longing for and is anticipating future joy. The psalmist here is not just nostalgically looking in the rearview mirror. He's expecting, he's anticipating renewed and restored joy. He's wanting more of it. And he's saying more is going to come. And two metaphors here illustrate these two kinds of joy that he anticipates. There's a sudden surprising joy and there's a sown sustained joy. So first in verse four, a sudden surprising joy. Joy. The Negev, sometimes pronounced Negev, is a desert in the, the southern part of Israel. 
and it's an incredibly arid, incredibly dry region. Across the landscape of the Negev are a number of these gullies, remains of dried out stream beds where water once flowed, but now it's just dry, dried out. As you know, it doesn't rain much in the desert, but on the rare occasion that it would rain in the Negev, and especially if it rained a decent amount, those dried out gullies would immediately become overflowing streams again. The dry, cracked, hardened desert floor would quickly become flooded with water. Sometimes joy surprises us. Sometimes joy comes really suddenly, as quickly as a dried out gully can become an overflowing stream. And there are, there are areas of each of our lives right now that are so devoid of joy, so painful and draining and wearying. But if God were to, to move in a powerful way, and he could do exactly that. If God were to show up in that area of your life and move in a powerful way, in an instant, there would be joy there again. Writing for Desiring God several years ago, Tabor Laughlin told the story of how after many years of battling his addiction to pornography, one day God gave him just complete freedom from it. A friend of his prayed for him. And it wasn't like that was the first time a friend had prayed for him. There had been many prayers over many years. And it wasn't like he wasn't making other really intentional efforts to pursue freedom at the, as, at the same time. But for whatever reason, that day and that prayer God answered in a surprising and sudden way. And in an instant, there was this joy of spiritual victory, this joy of being free. Maybe for you, it's not a sin pattern or an addiction. Uh, Maybe for you, it's a, a broken relationship, maybe even specifically a broken relationship with an adult child. And for many years, there's just been pain and distance there. I want to encourage you this morning, there can still be reconciliation. There could still be a powerful act of God where if this is your situation where where a prodigal comes to his senses and comes home. Maybe for you, it's it's a joyless marriage and there was once joy there, but there's not anymore. God can turn the hearts of spouses back to each other. Those dried out stream beds where water runs ran, ran they, can, they can overflow with water again. Maybe it's with a, a friend or a family member who, who has or who is walking away from their faith, who is deconstructing. God breaks up the desert ground with floods. That's what the psalmist is describing, like streams in the Negev. God can make hardened hearts soft again. So friends, look for moments of surprising joy. Cry out to God to surprise you with joy. It's hard to cry out to God with that kind of expectation, especially when, when this is something that maybe you've been praying about, crying out to God for, for a long period of time, and he hasn't answered that yet. I get that. Okay, I get that. But listen, God's faithfulness, his ability to surprise you and I with joy, it doesn't end with us. It's not like he did that for many years, but then he got to our generation and went, I don't really do that anymore. Okay, it's subtle, but there's actually a really arrogant kind of attitude that we can start to develop underneath the surface when we think that way. The the history of the people of God is saturated with moments of sudden, surprising joy where it's so unreal. It's so much like a dream that people can hardly believe it. Where like the Negev desert, the skies open and immediately these former stream beds overflow. 
That character and nature of God does not end with you or me. So look for moments of surprising joy. Cry out to God, expecting him to restore your joy. And at the same time, labor for sustained joy. That's the other metaphor, which which closes out Psalm 126. It's the other kind of joy the psalmist is anticipating here. A sown, sustained joy. Farming is is a really common metaphor throughout the Bible. It's used for things like our work, our vocational labors. Uh, It's used for evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. It's used for discipleship. It's used uh, to describe the process of our becoming more like Jesus and our growth in Jesus. Like a farmer, we are called to work really hard to labor for things that matter in life. Like a farmer, we're completely dependent on something outside of ourselves for growth. And like a farmer, even in the best possible scenario, in the years that we have the best harvest, guess what? We immediately get to do the whole thing over again. We get to prepare to start. We get to celebrate for a day or two and then start sowing again for next year. Psalm 126 is saying, the life of faith is a long labor of sowing tears, anticipating a day we will reap joy. We can't only look or cry out for surprising joy. We also have to labor for sustained joy. God can work quickly. He often has, he often does. We fight the arrogance, which thinks that that stops with us. But we also devote ourselves to a lifetime of faithful sowing. And what is it that we're sowing? Well, we're sowing good works, acts of service and mercy. We're sowing conversations about Jesus. We're inviting other people to put their faith in him. We're sowing small deposits in people. We're encouraging them. We're graciously challenging them. We're calling them to to walk after and follow Christ as their process of, of becoming disciples. All of those things are seed that we sow. But what the psalmist specifically says here is that we also sow our tears. We sow our tears. See, with following Jesus, laughter and tears go together in this life. Like the apostle Paul, we are both sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We experience joy, not after the sorrow is over, but in the midst of the sorrow. And so we cultivate a life of joy in what God has done. We remember the great works of God. And at the very same time, we take all of the discouragements and the disappointments. We take all of our suffering. We take all of the longings of a heart that was made for heaven, but has been corrupted by our sin. And we sow those tears into the ground with confidence that one day it will reap a harvest of joy. What are you sowing in tears right now in your life? What, what difficult, painful, thankless, unrewarding, joyless in and of itself work are you involved in right now? God sees. And God doesn't just see your tears. He collects them in his bottle. Psalm 56 says, not one of them falls to the ground. It is collected in God's bottle. And one day, he will wipe them all away. One day, Psalm 30, verse five, the weeping will tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So don't grow weary in that sowing. Keep sowing. In due season, Paul writes, you will reap if you don't give up. 
In God's economy, your labors, your tears, these are seeds sown in sorrow, which produce a harvest of joy. They are the way to joy. They are the only way. They are the cost to a lasting joy, to a sustained joy. Because you see, the entire kingdom of God is founded on the truth that sowing seed in sorrow reaps harvests of joy. The whole kingdom of God is founded on that reality. All the pictures of sowing and reaping in the Bible, including this one in Psalm 126, they point to one ultimate sowing and reaping. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 12, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The seed, Jesus Christ died. He went into the ground and there never was, nor will there ever be again, a sowing in sorrow like the son of God crucified for the sin of humanity. But as the author of Hebrews writes, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And on the third day, he was raised to life. He was raised imperishable. And the apostles, when they met the risen Jesus, they, like this psalmist, were like those who dream. The, the, the gospel of Luke records that, in, that when they met him on the road to Emmaus, they disbelieved for joy. They were so filled with joy, they could hardly believe it was real. Well, today, seated at the right hand of the father, the seed Jesus Christ has become the sower and the reaper. He will one day come again as the reaper. You can think about it this way, the prophecy of Psalm 126, the one who went out sowing and weeping as he sowed is coming home with shouts of joy. And we are the sheaves. We are the harvest he is bringing with him. Thanks be to God. So this Advent, this Christmas, expect your coming King to restore your joy. The angels who, who once on that first Christmas proclaimed his birth, they now shout with joy over sinners like us who repent. So employ joy in your formation and deploy joy in mission. Look for moments, cry out for moments of surprising joy and labor for sustained joy. Because Jesus Christ was sown in tears, but will reap his harvest with joy. Would you look to him in faith today? May our coming King restore your joy. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. With joy, with joy that could only come from you, Jesus, and could only come by your spirit renewing it within us. We praise you today, God. You have created heaven and earth. You have made us in your image. You have kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We thank you today and we thank you throughout this season and really every day of our lives for Jesus Christ coming into the world who opened up for us a way of salvation who, as we got to celebrate together with the Advent wreath and our scripture reading this morning, came that our joy might be full. There is no joy, no lasting full joy, like the joy that you provide, Jesus. And as we get ready to now come to your table and we see the cost of that joy, that you came weeping, you were sown in sorrow, help us also to rejoice together, anticipating the day you will come again and you will come home bringing your harvest with you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.